Uh, we are back with the next episode of the Cyware Cybercast. My guest today is Eric Noth, principal of Advent International, uh, one of the largest PE firms in the world. Eric, how are you today? Doing well, doing well, thank you. Awesome, thanks for taking some time today to, uh, to come on the Cybercast and uh, talk shop. So I'll start with- Excited to be here. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna start with a brief introduction. You let me know what I'm missing or what I, what I need to sort of you know revisit. But you joined Advent in 2019 as a principal focused on technology investments. So not just cyber, which cyware would be, but a broader scope of, of B2B and probably in other technology too. Um, you spent 10 years at TPG in the technology investment area. Um, so quite a long time at TPG and they've made tons of investments. I mean, their portfolio is massive. So really cool. Um, you're an entrepreneur also yourself and co-founded Drop Inc. Um, which was a mobile tech provider, and when you sold the when you sold the assets to that, you sold the assets for that to Snapchat, um, which is also really cool. So every everything that my daughters are doing today on Snapchat, you might sure. you Play might me. have enabled. Yeah. So thank you. Sure, very welcome. <laughs> um, and prior to TPG, you worked at Morgan Stanley in the media and communications group there. Um, assume that was in an investment capacity as well too. So really, really cool background that you've got. And then certainly um, thinking about the portfolio and the investments that you're involved in at Advent, uh, those in, those are inclusive of Forescout, Zanotti. Um, and then uh, prior to that, I think you were involved in a major investment in McAfee, IMS Health, Freedom Pay, Kaseya, Sabre, Sutherland Global Services, Decision Insight Information Group, which was acquired by CoreLogic and Isola. Did I leave anything out? That's uh, you got you got the good stuff. You got the good stuff. Thank you. Right on, right on. What what else? What else can you tell us about yourself before we dig into the dig into our questions here? I, honestly, you cut you covered the professional bio really well. I, I I you know personally live in the Bay Area. My wife and two young children and dogs. So. Uh, that, that keeps me busy when I'm not um, staying busy on the work side, but, you know, really excited to, to be here today. Right on. Well, uh, let's dig into it. So your, your background is really diverse, Eric. So, um, and, and you've got a lot of experience in cyber and other areas of, of B2B technology. Give us an idea of kind of what, where and why you kind of honed in on cyber as one of the areas uh, of investment for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, first of all, at Advent Tech, we cover a lot of ground within the tech ecosystem. We're largely software centric. Uh, we look really across verticals. So we'll look at opportunities in FinTech as much as we would in healthcare IT. Um, I'd say of all the areas where we've got a very strong view and we just see tremendous innovation really up and down the stack, cybersecurity has to be at the top of that list. I mean, it's, it's a unique ecosystem in that as the world turns increasingly digital, the perimeter through which um, uh, that digital trust can erode gets much broader. And you're in this constant game of, of cat and mouse with uh, the bad guys on, in the cyber war fighting, continuing to innovate and, and frankly kind of underscoring the need to, to innovate on, you know, on the right side of history. And, and, for, and for us, just seeing that ecosystem of, of constant innovation, um, having a sense for, for both what the incumbents are doing kind of at scale, you talked about the McAfee acquisition, but also, you know, where there's real disruption having around new and novel pieces of, 
of technology, cyber obviously being, you know, at the forefront of that side of the, of the discussion, which we should talk about, but even Tanium and Zscaler and a number of other kind of high growth disruptors from, you know, my past life, I, I'd, I'd say, um, you know, it's an area we spend a, a ton of time and, and certainly even already within Advent uh, out, of our, out of our tech team, you know, Forescout, another scale uh, investment we've made in, in cyber. And I, I imagine there'll be many more to come here in the, uh, the near future. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about the nature of disruptiveness. Like when you look at something, perhaps maybe you're looking at the landscape and seeing something that's a, that's a piece of legacy technology. Um, perhaps maybe there's not a whole lot of innovation that can actually happen. And, and everybody sort of makes the case that a, co a company gets too big, innovation comes to a slow roll. What do you look at in terms of disruptiveness from, from organizations that you invest in? Yeah, I mean it's it's a great it's a great question. I'd say like the the point you made on innovation, it's it's interesting. If you see both sides of the market, you you always hear that uh, the disruptive side of the market always says the incumbents can't innovate, and the right. incumbent the incumbent side of the market always says the um, the disruptors will never have the scale and reach and economic profile. Right? They've already got a captive set of customers, and it's this weird ecosystem where disruption enables customer growth, but you've already got customer growth at the top. And then it's a matter of what else do you sell into, into the ecosystem. And, and for that reason, I'd say um, it's, a, it's a very complicated, it's a very complicated market. Um, I, I'd say in terms of where we see innovation, I mean, the other thing that's interesting about cyber is, you know, more often than not, these capabilities kind of stack on top of each other. And, and whereas like just take endpoint security in the past, whereas the baseline technology there might have always been signature based and having kind of a known signature database of, of where there's malicious code um, was kind of table stakes. Um, you know, over the past 10 years, you saw a real trend around uh, not just being afraid of what you know, but being more afraid of things that aren't known. Uh, obviously, has relevance for what Cyber is doing and in threat intelligence and, and visibility and orchestration. But, you know, particularly going back to the endpoint example, um, you know, that led to the emergence of, of EDR, right? And looking at behaviors sure. of unknown code and how those operate and kind of stacking that on top of, um, you know, like legacy signature-based technologies. And I'd say really kind of, again, up, up and down the security stack, um, we've just seen this kind of layering of tools as, as CISOs, in, you know, increasingly view this as, um, you know, a firm first priority. And then, you know, also in the boardroom, like it's, it's, um, you know, I think 15 years ago, the CEO of a large enterprise would generally be able to name one or two cybersecurity vendors that they've heard that that, uh, that their teams work with. Now, in every, every single board meeting, there'll be 15 or 20 vendors that that come up. It's very much top of mind. And I'd say, you know, for that reason, even pieces of interesting technology that might have existed but would have been hard to scale 10 years ago are finding a much pass, faster path to market um, as a result of that increased uh, just vis visibility into the importance of having kind of the right security posture internally. Yeah, I mean, that's, and it's an interesting point you did, that you just brought up on board level visibility. That is, that's been one of the, I think the major trends that's, it's been coming for a while, but it's also now, I think, in the wake of certainly the pandemic, you're seeing, you're seeing opportunistic attackers look at different ways, different methodologies, different techniques. Um, and they're looking for different things and they start targeting organizations in a little bit of a different way. Um, from your standpoint, what are you seeing that like, if you had to point to one, maybe two like really key pieces of, of, of innovation, what are you seeing that's putting just dis new disruptive companies kind of over the hump and into, okay, like 
you can you can scale this you can you can go acquire customers and really kind of you know turn turn this into a growth story yeah i mean i'd say you know your your point around the new normal is is a it's it's hard to understate how important that is and and there's a, there's a number of trends at, at play right there is kind of an there's there's a constant increase in the number of attacks right as a starting point i'd say the economic and reputational consequences of attacks are if anything growing faster uh, than the number of attacks which is in itself a, a big comment i'd say through covid obviously the the nature of what um, what a CISO might think of as their perimeter has effectively evaporated, right? People are connecting from home networks. There's, there's a whole new footprint of devices that are able to access corporate networks through VPN technologies. There's, you know, uh, there's users that are no longer using VPN connecting, you know, directly to, to cloud apps. Like it's, it's, um, it's completely changed the game around how, um, how employees kind of interact with corporate networks, wh where data is safe and, and, and where it isn't. I'd say even like, a, you know, we talk, talk about COVID and the meaningful implications that has. The SolarWinds attack, if anything, is potentially more profound as you think about implications on, on cyber in particular. And it's everything from, you know, identity to access management to, to privileged content and who's able to, once you're in a network, how do you move laterally? How do you contain that? And I'd say over the past year, I mean, it's, it's already been a space that's had, uh, you know, tremendous growth over a very long period of time. But if, if anything, those trends have, have only accelerated. I, I'd say, you know, to answer your question directly around, you know, driving growth, I, I'd say, you know, for, for security in general, there's, I'd say with more awareness and more consequence for, for significant breaches, that just drives lower adoption barriers within the enterprise to, to try new solutions, to, to, to figure out where there are gaps in coverage and visibility and to really, you know, it, it's, it's, for, for an early stage cyber company and bring cyber into the mix, to have so many Fortune 100 logos and to have so many, I mean, real leaders, not only in the, on the procurement side of the market with CISOs and, and C-suite players um, thinking about cyber, but even you know, strategics between Tanium and Zscaler and others that have been around the company in the past. Anthony Belfiore is the CISO of Aon, one of the largest, most sophisticated companies is on the board. Right. Uh, Greg Clark is an investor, the former CEO of Symantec. I'd say like the, the, just the focus that, you know, real innovation and real disruption gets on the early stage side of this market um, is just, pr it's pronounced over the past year or two. And if anything, we see that trend uh, really continuing going forward, just, just given how top of mind cyber is in the global economy. Sure. <clears throat> um, I love, uh, I love your example of solar winds, right? Like it's the, it's the new, it's the new target breach to point to in, in this market. But I think what that brought up was certainly, uh, an increased awareness and now sort of like a like the big question around what do what does everybody or I'm sorry what does every company look like across the supply chain that I'm that I'm involved with as a business owner and that I think is something that has still yet to be explored it's kind of a third party risk style conversation but the supply chain risk is real and that I think that 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 sort of network effect of okay one system is breached at one company and then what does that look like for the rest of the organizations that are that are tied in through shared data shared systems um, shared clouds that is that has to be one of the most top of mind issues 
to some of the folks that you, that you talk to on a regular basis, both portfolio and just probably other experts in the industry. I told what very well said. It, it's um, I think the the nature of counterparty risk. Who's getting access to what information? What happens once they're inside the network? And what um, you know, once you have these like super privileged account access credentials, like what can, what can you do once once you're in a network and moving laterally like that? These are all questions. I mean, the most sophisticated companies obviously have always been very thoughtful around, but just the breakdown within the long tail around that attack strategy, I think, has been has been profound. I mean, the other the other thing is like when you think about software development and just code auditing broadly, like the shift left movement around not just seeing kind of active code, how that's operating in an ecosystem and determining if it's potentially malicious, but also embedding kind of best practices around security protocols in the actual development of new pieces of code. I'd say like, so if, so if anything, SolarWinds is gonna, I think, really accelerate adoption of, of kind of those types of tools uh, in, the, in the development process. So it, it's, um, you know, again, like it's, it's early days following the breach. I don't think the world understands the full magnitude of what was taken, what kind of access was um, was really enabled. I mean, you, you hear you hear quotes from the the founder of CrowdStrike that you know in in, in many of these cases, the only way you can remediate um, the issues is to tear down the network in its entirety and build it from scratch, right? And right. like as you think about the the cost and infrastructure and tools and even third party resources that are needed to do that, it's it's um it's I mean it's it's hard to almost it's hard to quantify how meaningful uh, that is and as far as burden to the system and the implications it has going forward. Sure. And that is when you talk about technology that hasn't quite found its either hasn't quite found its way to the cloud or technology that is just so embedded and sticky in a large enterprise. I mean, that becomes a, that becomes really problematic in terms of if you do have to tear it down, what, what does, what does that buildup look like? Certainly, what it's going, what's it going to cost? But what will that look like so that it is, you know, can you future-proof that in somehow, in some way? Can you take that and can you look at, can you look at a, a, a NIST model and does that, does that solve the issue? That's a scary proposition for probably beyond the CISO and into the into the CIO and the and the board discussions. Oh, totally. I mean, you you can you can be like even com- companies that we work with. Um, that don't that don't touch cyber that didn't have any exposure to SolarWinds are you know following the SolarWinds breach in every single one of our board meetings it's come up as what is our posture around these risks how do we think about managing it internally is there a world where a similar risk could have happened to us that we weren't aware of where do we have live code that we need to go audit like it's um again like companies that didn't have anything to do with SolarWinds are are uh, you know really going through a period of deep self reflection so I, I it's I mean it's you know, I think you, you said it's like the, the, the latest version of like the target breach as far as opening people's eyes to certain types of new and emerging risks. But uh, it's, you know, it's almost like every year or so there's another one of these things that I think just continues to pour full fuel on the fire of, of growth and innovation within cyber. It's really true. It, and you hate to, <clears throat> sometimes you hate as a marketer. I mean, I think sometimes fear mongering is a, is a tactic or perhaps maybe even a strategy sometimes when you're trying to kind of articulate um, and, and punctuate specific specific events point in time to be able to kind of point to that and say, oh, well, you know what? Well, this happened. Um, you, you know, you could have, should have, would have was always sort of that next step, but it's really more about taking, I think, a, a step back and really assessing at least for, for your business, 
or at least for the, the CISO and looking at his or her business and saying, okay, like we know that today, this is what we face. We know today, this is, this is how we're built to, to, to defend and protect. What are we going to do for like the next 18 months that's going to help us be, what's going to help us be that force multiplier against the stuff to your point that you were referencing earlier within the scope of EDR, kind of that unknown threat that you're going to need some level of a behavioral agent that's going to, to monitor activity, something like that. What are, what are you seeing? Are you seeing almost like a, finally, it's like the conversation isn't like the here and now today and then looking backwards and it's more about what are we going to build toward as a, you know, as a security team? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, there's, no, there's no perfect answer here. Like, it's, it's almost like everyone has to think about what the best, pra what best practices are and, and do the best they can. I, I think the world is increasingly of the view that you will be hacked, right? Like, it, it, like this, this whole, um, you know, reduce the funnel so it's only like the, 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 the safest traffic is, is getting through. I, I think folks have realized just the, the efficiency and throughput and ability to scale that model doesn't work, right? And then you're seeing kind of this explosion in, in just kind of minimizing the time um, of an attack and then quickly remediating as fast as possible with a posture that is obviously leans conservative within security management. I'll, I'll tell you like, and, and to, to plug Cyware a bit, you know, one, one of the things we were so excited about with, with Cyware and just, you know, what Anuj and Akshat and, and, and you and the team are, are, are building is um, one, one like threat intelligence, right? It, it's, it's um, it, it all it, like putting aside the behavioral technologies that are that are trying to um, make decisions on kind of unknown pieces of of code. Having having visibility in near real time around where 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 is innovation happening on the dark side of this market, and just what does that mean within our environments? I'd say that is a crit. If anything, that's only going to become more critical as far as functionality goes I'd say that the, the the challenge the challenge with threat intelligence and just generally like force multipliers within the SOC and and, and the CISO suite more broadly is there's just been an absolute explosion in the number of inputs and just the signal to noise ratio around the, the the 10 million alerts I got today and actually going through and prioritizing here are the ones that are critical here are the ones that are you know we should get to but it's not like a today thing that that the burden that has created in the security ecosystem has been profound. And when you think about, I mean, when you think about Cyware, one feeding visibility and telemetry kind of across a security footprint in real time, particularly given the, I mean, the, the shocking relationship Cyware already has with all of the major ISACs or many of them, um, I'd say that in itself is super valuable, right? And, and particularly as, you know, the, the more the more contextual awareness you can give enterprises and, and you know, moving into the future, another value prop of Cyware is moving even further down market and democratizing some of these tools to the mid-market and SMBs to give them the visibility they need to, to manage against these risks. I think that in itself is extremely valuable. The future of the space is really around SOAR and orchestration and automating kind of remediation as new threats enter an environment. And I think it is, you know, as you look at the, the roadmap for Cyware, that I think that the potential around that capability in removing more friction in a more seamless fashion to actually go in and remediate and, and patch where necessary across the kind of the internal cyber footprint with third parties, like that, that I think is, um, uh, I mean, it has, it has absolutely tremendous potential. Yeah, they, and, and certainly we appreciate that. I, 
didn't even hadn't even gotten to uh the, the question about cyware quite yet but it's also <laughs> like i mean the when you think about soar you know i think a couple of years ago when people heard soar and and i think gartner probably about four maybe four years ago as part of their um i think it's part of the adaptive cyber framework that that gartner developed i think um, I think people heard SOAR and they were like, wow, that's like a heavy lift. And I, and, and one of the things that we're starting to hear from, from our customers and certainly the ISACs too, is, you know, it's not, it's not a heavy lift. We're, we're connecting, you're connecting the dots between the collaboration around threat information sharing, and then connecting the dots between which indicators and to your point, which, which signals are my taking in to get to the point where I want to be able to, I want to be able to know everything that's going on, but I don't want to have to dig through it and sift through it uh, manually to be able to enact some level of a, of a preventative technique or some level of a, it, there might even be some human intervention. And I think that that's, that's where we're starting to see um, some of the value come through in customer deployments because they're, they're looking at trying to connect those dots, trying to orchestrate around specific levels of threats to that business and automate where they can. And I think it's, I look at it as more of like a, everything's steeped around automation, but are you automating the right things? And I think that's where, that's where that balance is in the stock. And to your point, the analyst burnout is substantial and they're, this is, you know, we, we really, I, I like to tell the story that we designed this to make your life easier, not to complicate your life. Right, well said. And I, I'd say like, the thing with SOAR is it's, it's almost an inevitability that it, 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 needs, it needs to work, right? Like there, there isn't, as you think about just the, the, the explosion in the number of inputs and potential risk vectors with a, you know, a scarce supply of, of you know, leading professionals that go in and think about cyber on a day-to-day -day basis, like, automation and kind of orchestration around new threat vectors it it, it it has to in some capacity be a meaningful part of kind of the cyber threat posture globally going going forward i think the question is like who's best positioned to be that centralized intermediary you know what what we've seen is there's a lot of um there are a lot of specific capabilities that try to create soar and say like we'll plug into your ecosystem and, and we can be helpful. But I think what's really needed is an independent centralized repository. And, and certainly I mean, for Cyware, I think has a real edge, right? I mean, the, the core threat intelligence platform in, it, in, its, in its very essence is kind of in the middle of the ecosystem. And just starting with that and, and kind of layering in the, the automation and, and, and orchestration as new risks become known, I think that as far as breaking down adoption barriers, um, you know, obviously, it's, I think a very, as you said, a very compelling ROI to, to customers. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I love, I love the way that you frame that, Eric. Um, thinking about taking a step back and thinking about the portfolio companies that you do invest in, what are and you've talked and you've talked a little bit already about innovation. What are some of the other characteristics that you look for? Uh, if you're looking at either an earlier stage organization like a Cyware or a later stage growth round investment, what are some of those characteristics that you're looking for um, within the organization? Um, certainly at the growth stage, it's going to be, you're going to be looking at ARR is going to be one of the top metrics, but what are the things that you look for uh, when, when you're getting into a new portfolio company? 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a broad question, but obviously a really important one. I, I'd say for us, um, particularly on growth growth opportunities on the earlier stage side of the market, it really starts with the team and just culturally, you know, how 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 much alignment is there? I'd say, you know, as as, as we've gotten to know Anuj and in, in Akshat, um, at the highest, I mean, they they are technologists at heart. They're very passionate about this space and this opportunity, and importantly. Uh, you know, news in particular has lived and breathed this as a user of these threat intelligence capabilities at one of the largest and most sophisticated financial institutions in the world. And the fact that the fact that he was able to start with that perspective and create a purpose-built platform to go and remove the pain points that he was manually going in and remediating in his prior life, I'd say that uh, struck a lot of, uh, you know, obviously, obviously struck a uh, um, uh, we perked up right when we when we heard that that side of the story. You know, cl clearly, um, cyber is unique in that very early stage companies can make a, a very large impact very quickly. You mentioned ARR. I mean, there's there's the financial side of of all of these decisions. I'd say even more important for us is just you know what are customers saying and kind of how is the market, um, you know, uh, responding to these solutions. Like how big could this opportunity be? And as as you think about the customer footprint that Cyware already has within large enterprises. Um, potentially even more impactful is the relationships that Cyware has within all of the ISACs, which is, I mean, again, for a company of Cyware's kind of tenure and and scale to have that footprint so early, I think is 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 pretty tremendous. And kind of rolling that forward around like how can we be helpful in, in giving Cyware the tools it needs to scale? Like if anything, the technology is is absolutely scalable, it's world class purpose-built from probably, you know, a small handful of, of people in this world that that should be the ones to go out and innovate in this area. And it's it's really, I mean, starting with that as your premise and then figuring out kind of what's the right team to go out and evangelize this and kind of, you know, create, um, you know, have, have the snowball keep building momentum as it moves downhill. I, I'd say that that's where, that's where um, you know, we get, we get really excited. Sure. No, that's, I mean, it's great to hear too, because uh, the, I think every every company at this stage definitely wants to be able to kind of hit that go button and get the go to market going and get the product dev going and get the sales capacity in 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 line with um, you know hitting revenue targets. So it's uh it's definitely an exciting time for sure, and certainly an exciting time too because we just raised the Series A maybe six months ago six, seven months ago. And I think we're in a, we're in a unique position to be able to do this right now. So we're, I mean, I think everybody, I speak for everybody, the company, everybody's really excited about it. Um, when you think about, we talked a little bit already about, about COVID and I certainly don't want to beat a dead horse, but anything else that you think is, is, is pertinent to maybe the changing dynamic or something that's evolved in, in your eyes that you've seen um, from this time last year, because I think it's, Right around this time last year, it was you know COVID nineteen was a was was labeled as a pandemic, and this is right about around today is when we started to kind of really shut down as a as a country last year. What have you seen that's really driven um, you know positivity coming out of this in 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 your world and and in you know sort of the obviously the the different levels of investment that you're that you're consistently involved in. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I'd say, I mean, with, with cybersecurity in particular, like COVID and SolarWinds as just two 
watershed mo you know moments over the past year. You know, obviously, um, I think we'd all prefer neither of those events to have happened, but they both will have meaningful impacts on on how employees engage with with companies and 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 certainly how nation states are are are, are viewed internally and and the and just the, again the, the risk surface has just changed so dramatically. I'd say, I mean, on the positive, particularly you know, sitting in the seat as a you know, uh, technology-focused investor. I, I'd say we're, we've been riding this 20, 30, 40-year trend around digitization of the economy, right? And it, it's the enterprises have already innovated quite a bit. I think SMEs and SMBs are, you know, have been slower to the mix, but we've just been riding this wave, I think, of disruption and innovation and just kind of, um, you know, moving to a more digital world. And if, any, if anything, COVID, has accelerated those trends, and, and importantly, it's accelerated them uh, kind of down market, right, within SMEs and and SMBs, because I think you know inc increasingly these companies view uh, you know digital ecosystems and e-commerce as their lifeline to conducting commerce in the COVID age. And I, I think some of the trends that were kind of playing out linearly have been uh, really accelerated. And I, th I think that's a really great. I mean, putting aside. The tragic pandemic and you know meaningful nation state uh, you know attacks. I think that those are really good things um, that are happening in in, in general, and, and that catalyst I think is is important. I, I'd say the 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 last point I'll make is the um, uh, the the downside of of that trend is again like as more emphasis moves into digital solutions for historically you know more analog type tools, um, it also continues to underscore the need for the right cyber uh, security posture, right? Because it, it just, again, the, the attack service is constantly expanding and it's constantly becoming closer to the heart um, of, of what these what these global organizations are doing as they become more digital. Um, so, I mean, if anything, it, it's preaching to the require, I'm sure a bit, but it's it, I think it's why you've seen just such tremendous innovation and growth and expansion within the cyber ecosystem, particularly on the, uh, the earlier stage side. Yeah, re really eloquently stated, Eric. I, I think it's, you know, it's. I think the reason that people stay, people join, sort of like the like they jump into the cyber world. Um, it's a close knit kind of world. Everybody tends to kind of know everybody else, and it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool fraternity. And I, what I like about it is, I think I've been in cyber for maybe something like 14, 15 years. It, it's always changing. And I think there's there's no day that's the same. There's no there's no month that's the same. I think it, it, the 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 variety of what of what you can do in in this industry, there's so many different avenues and so, so many routes to market and so many different careers that you could have. It's a really cool industry in that in that sense. I think the other thing too is that when you know that fundamentally you're trying to protect business, it's really, it becomes an economic story because I think 15, maybe 15 years ago, maybe even a little longer, but around like, maybe, let's just say 10, 15 years ago, cyber was always sort of the, the department that always said no on everything internally at any, you know, any size organization. And now I think that cyber, and to your point, with respect to board level, board level conversations and board level visibility of the cyber program, I think that cybers become a business enablement function within the economy. That's not necessarily just something that's, well, you know, I deployed my antivirus and I'm good to go. It's more about there's a strategy behind it. 
and it's all to help enable the business. And I think that um, that's been one of the interesting things that, that I've seen too, which is as everything's going digital and the transformation has accelerated over the course of the past year during the pandemic, I don't think that there's ever been a time that cyber has been more important to a business at this point. Yeah. And by the way, I think that the, the crazy thing about that comment is I think you could probably say that about every day, every day from here on out, you could probably make that same comment. Yeah, <laughs> it's, still, I think, it's only growing in importance. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover today before we dig into our final portion of the interview, which is our rapid fire round, Eric. <laughs> no, I think we've covered good ground. I mean, as you can tell, we're, we are, we could not be more excited to be partnering with Cyware uh, in this next phase of their journey. We think, I mean, the, the, it's, it's a special company. It's, it's addressing a huge problem. I think the, you know, the track record that you, you've all already built uh, within, you know, all the ISACs and, and, and some of the largest enterprises in the world that are obviously discerning buyers of these solutions is, is uh, kind of, it's well beyond your years. And, and we're, you know, really excited to be, you know, joining the, joining the story here. Let's get, let's get right into it. And, and the way that I'll handle this is I will, I'll give you, I'll give you my answer too, because sometimes I do, you know, sometimes they interview two people on this thing, but um, we'll start with, uh, we'll start with number one, better quarantine show, Queen's Gambit or Tiger King? <laughs> I, they're both great. They're both. I, I I like the Queen's Gambit maybe more, but I I couldn't take my eyes away from Tiger King. So I'll I'll go Queen's Gambit with a caveat that I I it was a hard it's a hard decision. All right. Yeah. So and, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Queen's Gambit too. I thought it was I thought it was really unique. Um. And and as soon as I found out about it, I watched the first episode and was hooked. I needed to I needed to binge until I finished that. Um. Tiger King. I was. Definitely, it was more of like a like a car accident that I was I couldn't take my eyes away from either. So, all right, so we're we're on the same page with Queen's Gambit. Um, okay, sports. Better with or without crowds. I I am definitively for crowds. I am too. The only the only thing that I would say is uh, I think when the NBA came back in the bubble, um, and a lot of people cut on the NBA and 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 try to say, well, you know. You can watch the fourth quarter of an NBA game and, you know, that's really all you need to see. Definitely still true, but I thought that the level of play coming back without the crowds and it was a new adjustment for everybody, mostly the players, was was pretty interesting. It was almost kind of watching, it was like watching the NCAA tournament and 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 players really just playing every single play. Right. I think yeah, that's, that's fair. That is, I didn't thought that. But but sure. crowds crowds for sure you gotta have crowds the, the, en- the energy is just so it makes everything more real. But oh, it's so uh, much better! It's so much better. Um, all right, iPhone or Android, Eric? I I have always been an iPhone person, but not but not for any specific reason other than I, I was hooked on it originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, iPhone also, um, you know, I've got I've got all my Apple devices, but at one point I wanted to go counter Apple. Uh, so, and this was years ago when I opted for a windows phone. So, and I had these, like, it was all, it almost looked like a, like a phablet. It was so, it was huge. It was the, uh, the Lumia 1280, I think. And it had, and it was, uh, windows, it was windows mobile. Um, it was so big and kind of clunky. I dropped it, got another one, dropped that one. I broke two of them. 
Then I opted for, then I think no, uh, I think Microsoft bought Nokia. I forget, I forget how that all shook out, but then I opted for Android and I had a couple of S S six had like an S six edge plus, um, and the phone, the devices were great, but they, you know, they, I went back to Apple is basically right. it's, it's, your, it's your, it's your, it's your security posture. I think that's the uh, right the reason for it. Right. It truly is. It truly is. All right. To-do lists, paper or electronic? I, I am, I am uh, squarely on the electronic side of to-do lists. Okay. I am, I'm on the paper side. I, I have a, I have a $13 little planner that I use and I find that if I if I write if I write it out rather than just not um, if I if I if I plug it into if I plug it into Evernote or something like that or I scribble notes on the iPad, I always feel like I take better notes just freehand in a piece of paper and I can consistently reference that right. throughout the day. I don't know. I, I'd say but, note, note, notes for me. I I could go by paper. I usually actually email myself notes. So I'm, I'm I'm not the most tech sophisticated, but the uh, I use an app called Things for to-do lists that oh. syncs across my, my Mac, my iPhone, and my iPad. And it's not like it, when you click off something you've done, it crosses it out. So like you get you get like the emotional gratification of, of feeling like you're making progress throughout your day. But uh-huh. Ra rather than the rather than the check mark that you would yeah. just write on. Okay. All yeah, right. it I keeps it digital. Otherwise I, I wouldn't I'd lose I'd lose the list. I am not organized enough. <laughs> All right. Uh Teams or Slack? Uh, definitely Slack. Definitely Slack. Definitely Slack. Not, e not even a question. All right. And, and now to a, to a more important question as we get into the, the bottom five here. Lee Roth or Hagar <laughs> or Gary Sharon? I, <laughs> the fact that I know this is Van Halen has to give me a, like a point, but I don't have a view at all. I couldn't tell you who, who, who was a part of which uh, songs during which time period, but I... I need like an asterisk saying I, I, I was at least in the hunt here, but I don't, I don't have a view. That, you know what, that's, you definitely get points for that. I'm going old school. I'm going David Lee Roth, original Van Halen. I don't think you can beat it. <laughs> okay. All right. The eighties or the nineties? Uh, I, I would, I will say nineties. I will say nineties, but like, 80s themed things, I think, are, are very, are, they, they are more colorful and fun, but I, 90s nostalgia is, is, uh, is nice. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard decision, too, because so many cool things kind of blended into, from like 1989 into, into the 90s. I think I'm going to go 80s, really for no good reason. Right. Um, all right. Acquisition or IPO? This is a really hard question. I, I, we, we don't, I don't have a strong view, honestly, like, and I don't mean that's not a political comment, like for every company, it's for every company, it's different. Like there, there's certain companies that feel like they should be a true breakout standalone platform. And in that case, like writing it out through an IPO and building something that is kind of massive and, and, uh, and in one single plat, like that's, that's obviously a very exciting journey to be a part of At the same time you're building something highly strategic that fits very nicely into like, like it just it kind of it kind of depends so i i don't want to i don't want to uh <laughs> lean too far either way for yeah. for for any for, for certain reasons but the, there's yeah. a lot of very there's a lot of variability along the way and to your point yeah no it's it's completely 
company it's completely company centric it depends on the organization so i guess i'll i'll go with uh i'll go with acquisition um better late night food cereal or pizza i well now that i'm like past the phase of middle-aged i'd say i definitely think pizza is better late night and I, I would have always said that for my entire life but but definitely not Neither are great for you late night, but I'd say pizza is probably far worse for you. So I, my answer is pizza, but with the recognition that it probably shouldn't shouldn't be my answer. And the cereal, the cereal industry reported massive uh, massive returns during uh, the COVID nineteen timeframe because uh, one, it's a it's a I wouldn't even call it a cheaper food because I mean the 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 generic brands are, are a little bit more affordable, but I mean it's at least. $4.99, $5.99 for a box of cereal. And the boxes seem to be smaller than they used to be, or at <laughs> least right. they fill they fill them with less cereal. But I think we're we're uh, just bigger, I think, maybe, but yeah, agreed. That's true. That's true. I'm just, I, I have to go with cereal. It's just the I feel like there's nothing like a bowl of cereal late late at night. Final question of the rapid fire round. Digital or vinyl? I, I, I'm digital here. I, I've never been a vinyl, I've never been a vinyl person. Yeah, I'm, I'm digital. I'm full digital as well too. Although I've wanted to, I've wanted to integrate my Sono system with a vinyl record player. A friend of mine's done it, and he. I've, I've seen that. That's super cool. Yeah. It's so cool. I just I haven't done it because I haven't felt the need to do it because then I have to keep. You know, the the advantage digital is I control it on my phone. Um, you can't you can't control the needle remotely. So, I, right. I'm gonna have I, to go with digital. Yeah. There's no, I, I first, like the first order issues, I've not hip enough to pull off vinyl. Like it, it, my wife would, would, would think I, I, I wasn't cutting it. And then second, I, like <laughs> with two young kids, like the, the, the ability to keep vinyl records safe and secure is next to zero. Like it would be zero. So I, right. I'd say like, I'm also structurally out of the vinyl hunt at this, at this phase. Yeah. It's just not, it's not been something that I've been able to, uh, to, to, to do um, just, but thinking back to, using or thinking back to when vinyl was the only option man that was cool I, I thought it was the coolest thing when when i get a new album um it was great and then you yeah. if the if the first side of the first side of the record wasn't very good maybe the second side was better yeah it was just kind of like a cool feeling and you know certainly certainly cooler than than cassette tapes but yeah all digital here too i think that's you know it's the it's the digital transformation age so that's right that's it's right. hard. To, it's hard to go back. Bringing it to life. Of, yeah, that's right. Totally. Well, that wraps it up, Eric. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Um, we're super psyched to be working with you, and you know, there, your perspective is 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 awesome. So, very much appreciated. No, I know feelings mutual. I could not be more excited to be a part of the cyber journey, and and really excited to see where where it goes. So, thank you for for having me today. All right, that'll wrap up this version of, or sorry, this episode of the Cybercast. We'll see you on our next one.